Hi. In this week's message notes, many of you recognise this well-known and much-loved parable, which represents the unconditional, grace-filled love of God towards each of us. Some of you know it as the prodigal son. I like to call it the parable of the two lost sons. So as you scan through this week's part one of the parable, you well know that the first son yells, Entitlement! Grabs a huge chunk of his dad's superannuation, gives his dad the bird on the way out, blows it all, ends up in a pickle, and sheepishly heads back home. And you also well know that before, during, and after his misadventure, he was always unconditionally loved by his father. He hadn't earned it or paid for his dad's unconditional love. It was an ongoing gift. It could never be taken away that he was his father's son and deeply loved. The Apostle Paul writes that living faith is a gift of God. He reminded the Christians at Ephesus of this incredible fact. Paul said, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So faith is a gift. But trusting in God and having beliefs about God are not always the same. Faith is a gift. Beliefs are not. Forming beliefs takes time and is often hard work. Distinguishing faith from beliefs is critical. You can have the right beliefs, but still not have received God's gift of living faith, the gift of fully trusting in him. The demons had accurate beliefs about Jesus. They believed that Jesus was the son of God, that Jesus had power, and that Jesus was from God but they would not submit to his lordship. But when we've received the gift of a saving living faith, we have a growing desire to embrace right beliefs about God as we mature in our faith walk. So right beliefs matter greatly because what we believe about God directly determines whether we place our ongoing trust in God as we daily live out the front half of our eternity. Right beliefs matter. And in this parable, I can see how this lost son, who knew he was loved by his father, still had to go through three stages to get to where he was always meant to end up. And in our contemporary culture, each of us has either already, or is in the middle of, or is yet to work through, the same three stages. This is a timeless but crucial process. The first stage, the construction stage. It's those preliminary steps that the youngest son would have taken on his life journey. During his construction stage, he would have accepted the basic structures of belief that are accepted and established as to how the farm was operated how his family of origin operated, how his church operated, how his father operated, and so on. And one of the distinguishing features of the son's construction experience would have been the acceptance of beliefs pre-critically. This is a bit like when a baby is learning a language. A child will first use the language they hear their parents use, and that's not a bad thing. It's very helpful when you're wanting your nappy changed. 
This construction stage is also what happens when we start our faith journey in following Jesus. We believe what we are told and see modelled by those a bit further along the journey. I did not come from a Christian heritage. So when I started out on my faith journey, it was suggested to me to read my Bible daily, get along to weekly corporate worship, and be generous with my time, talent, and treasure along the way. So that's what I did. I followed these passed on beliefs pre-critically in the early years of my spiritual formation. The wonderful aspect of the construction phase in anyone's early stages of their faith journey is the trusting vulnerability towards God and other Christ followers as they receive true and trustworthy Christ-focused beliefs. For example, on a construction site, it's vital to know which are the load-bearing walls, which are the walls that are engineered to take excessive amounts of load-bearing weight, which are the load-bearing walls that support the whole structure. In this recording studio, to my right, I know is a load-bearing wall. So in this commercial building, it takes the full weight of the structure above it. Behind me in the studio is a load-bearing wall. It supports so much of the weight of this structure. Now to my left is just a partition wall. It's basically plaster and pine. Uh, it can't, it's not built to take any weight. It would just uh, fall apart if it had any weight put on it. It's vital to know which set of Christian beliefs are load-bearing. These load-bearing beliefs have stood over the centuries, beyond persecution, beyond fads, and beyond governments of various persuasions. Some of the load-bearing beliefs I was exposed to in my construction stage included that Jesus is God in the flesh, that salvation from my sins is a gift of grace from God. That we are all equally valuable in God's sight. That there is no such thing as a lesser person or a lesser nationality or race. Even Collingwood supporters have some small value. Very small. But the construction stage can also be a disaster. As we go on in life we discover that the pre-critical reception of good beliefs can also make space for the uncritical reception of bad beliefs. Good soil not only grows healthy plants, but it also has the capacity to grow weeds too. So in my early formative years as a young believer, some of the weed-bearing beliefs I encountered included that women have no place in any leadership structure within a church. That miracles were only for the early church times and don't happen today. That teaching about the Holy Spirit was to be minimised, otherwise weird things would begin to happen. So we can accept beliefs about how God operates that are good. But because we are humans led by humans, we often receive beliefs that can betray who God is too. So the youngest lost son would have all these belief inputs swirling around. 
as he moved towards deciding what pathway he was wanting to follow. He was accumulating various beliefs in his construction phase, just as we must do all these centuries later. It's a part of our life cycle that is appropriate and necessary for us if we are to mature and flourish within our Western suburban context as Christ followers. So stage one is construction. Stage two is deconstruction. Deconstruction is simply the dismantling of anything that's been constructed. Deconstruction is simply the dismantling of anything that's been constructed. Such as a building, it's, it's the pulling down of a building to create space for something new. Think about cooking, it's me using my hammer to smash a bag of cashews into a fine mix to be blended into my famous Penang curry creation. Think about Lego. It's when our kids pull down their Lego to create something new. Think about beliefs. It's the process of dismantling one's pre-critically accepted beliefs. It's like pulling off part of a damp wall to see what's happening with the plumbing behind it. We usually begin having a closer look at how we thought God works, our beliefs, when we come across things in our lives that knock us onto our bum. For example, loss of a spouse, a divorce, a three-winter pandemic, the death of a family member or close friend, a job loss, being hurt by your church, failing a major exam or botching a key job interview. This is often when we begin to reevaluate those earlier, pre-critically received beliefs. You've now begun to experience some internal turbulence when you thought your faith flight would be comfortable and predictable. So on the one hand, we can live in the reality of a living relationship with Jesus through what Paul describes as a gift of God. But we can also realise that part of our pre-critically accepted belief structure may go against that message of grace. So for example, if there's racism or sexism in the mix somewhere. A great writer called A.J. Swoboda points out that deconstruction is a double-edged sword. It can edify our faith by helping us to critically rethink wrong beliefs but it can also go too far and bring our faith to nothing. Any belief we uncritically received at some point that remains hostile or opposed to the biblical message of Jesus Christ needs to be deconstructed, as I mentioned, such as racism or sexism. But the minute deconstruction undermines the gospel, our faith or the Bible, we've deconstructed too much, says Swoboda. There's a world of difference between deconstructing wrong beliefs and deconstructing the faith. Just as there's a difference between remodelling a room in our home and tearing down the house. Distinguishing between the two is essential. One is intellectual repentance and the other is faith destruction. In fact, a true and living faith, such as knowing we're saved by God's gift of grace, will often require us to undertake some type of deconstruction of our beliefs. And when I let my imagination widen a bit, 
I suggest that maybe when the lost son was standing knee high in pig's poo, feeling totally lost and in a dark place, having energetically deconstructed most of the beliefs he had pre-critically accepted in his construction stage, he was that he was in that soul-shriveling mindset that Swoboda writes about when he says, sadly, what often begins as a humble desire to believe rightly ferments into an all-out resentment, even hatred of the family of origin or Christian community or Christian identity that nurtured those beliefs. He says the hatred slowly turns inward. Resentment for others becomes hatred of self for having ever accepted said beliefs. So this youngest lost son has moved on from his construction stage and is currently in his deconstruction stage, feeling dark and lost and overwhelmed. Yet at that very point, his reconstruction stage begins. While he was standing there with the pig's poo oozing over his ankles in his expensive runners, he begins to think about what beliefs he had thrown out or walked away from and what beliefs he needs to revisit again. We read there in that passage that he came to his senses. Another version says he began to think about what he'd done. His reconstruction stage had begun. He rethinks about some of the tried and tested and truthful beliefs as to how the farm was operated, how his family of origin operated, how his church operated, how his father operated and unconditionally loved him, and so on. He begins to have clarity that just because he rejected some unhealthy beliefs doesn't mean that he must also walk away from the healthy, life-giving, load-bearing beliefs that had provided the nourishment for his soul that he had now been mistakenly searching for in the distant country. Thomas Oden writes, The prodigal son had to try out every wrong path in a far country before he found the right path home. Only after his testing of futile ways was he ready to come home. So the lost son shakes the pig's poo off his expensive runners, turns his gaze towards home and begins his journey of reconstruction, squelching as he walks along with a million flies hanging off him. As an old saying goes, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step, but the first step must be in the right direction. Let me make one suggestion to some of you who may be stuck in that distant country and you are battling with that inner turbulence of taking your first step out of your deconstruction stage towards your reconstruction destination. Here's my suggestion. Be rigorously honest with yourself about your motivation for your deconstruction stage. Is your deconstruction stage simply a facade or a smokescreen for other unspoken issues or personal goals? As a dad, 
It's because you've carried deep hurts and disappointments with your dad. So you've ended up with a hardened heart. As a dad, your heart's nursed many bruises from your dad. And now it's becoming calcified. And you know deep down, for the sake of your family, it's time for you to step into your reconstruction stage. For some of you, your goal may be to live a lifestyle that matches your social media image that you have carefully crafted. For some of you, your goal may be to focus your worship on your career, your possessions, your AFL team, or even to worship your kids. For some of you, your goal may be to push your parents' red button just to get back at them. For some of you, your deconstruction stage is because you really want to know Jesus Christ and fully embrace the eternal load-bearing beliefs that he was prepared to die for. For example, he believed that you are of immense value and worth dying on the cross for. I suggest the lost son had gone through this rigorous, honest self-examination and then he took his first step in the right direction towards home. As we read there in the passage, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Another version says, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out, embraced him and kissed him. Don't ever think God is distant and unemotional. When he looks at you, regardless of which of the three stages you are in or bouncing back and forth between, his heart begins pounding. That's how precious you are to him. King David experienced this too. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. He is our load-bearing, heart-pounding God. Thus ends part one. Next week, in part two, we look at the other lost son, hard-working, loyal, but still lost. See you then.